you hath he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our manner of life in time past and the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Wherefore remember that you in time past were Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. As you listen, you can expect the Word of the Living God to encourage, challenge, and comfort you. We live in difficult times, but we can expect our God to provide answers to the big questions in your life through His Word. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. The Unchanging Word Bible broadcast welcomes you once again to our study in the book of Ephesians with our teacher, Dr. John G. Mitchell. After a brief review of our last lesson, Dr. Mitchell will be expounding Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And Dr. Mitchell reiterates the three R's of redemption in chapter 1, reconciliation in chapter 2, and revelation in chapter 3. And to begin with here in chapter 2, we see what we once were in times past. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We lived like the rest of mankind as children of wrath. And it's not a very pretty picture, is it? Well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 with our teacher, Dr. Mitchell. Good day, friends. We again come to you with joy in our hearts for the privilege and the honor of talking to you over this program something of the riches of the glory of God. I can't help but think as I think of this book of Ephesians of the riches of his grace, the riches of his glory, as we had in this first chapter. And we've just been finishing the, the prayer of the Apostle Paul in this first chapter, the prayer for knowledge. And the source of that knowledge is in the God of glory, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're asked to have our the hearts, the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. So I said a moment ago, it's a prayer for knowledge. And God has displayed and revealed to us in the Word of God His purposes and His plans so we should know them. This is the great prayer of Paul that we might know something of these things. 
we might know what is the purpose of God and the call of God and the power of God. We were closing with that thought. We might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand. I do not want to go over this again, except to impress upon your heart that the more you and I are yielded to the Savior, the more we stay in the Word of God, the more we'll experience the power of God in our day, in our daily lives. And how we need that today. We need His power. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The power that is, shall I say, the greatest demonstration of power in all God's universe. Not only the power of resurrection, but the power of exaltation above all principalities and powers, which we have here in verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he hath put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus Christ, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness, the complement of him that filleth all in all. Just one further word about this prayer. He gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness, the complement of him that filleth all in all. You see, God gave him to be the head of the church, not before the cross, but after resurrection, you remember in Matthew 16, 18, the Lord was speaking of a future thing when he said, upon this rock I will build my church. And I say this reverently, that our Lord is not complete without every member of the body of Christ, which is the church of Christ, standing before him complete in all the glory and power of God. We are, I can use the term, the complement of Christ. Because he lives, every member of his body will live. And so the power of resurrection, the power of exaltation, the power that joins us to Christ, the head of the church, is to usward who believe. Our time would fill me to go into Ephesians chapter 4, 15 and 16, and Colossians 2, 19, where it speaks of every believer being a member of the body of Christ, a member of the church of Christ, not, not necessarily any local body down here, but every believer in the Savior, one who has really put their trust in the Lord, whether they know very much about it or not, whether they're very well educated in the things of Christ or not, the moment a sinner receives the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes a member of the body of Christ. And the Lord Jesus, and I say this reverently, is not complete without every individual member of the body of Christ being there. Oh, what a purpose, what a plan God has. Friend, listen, God is not working haphazardly. He doesn't work according to circumstances or the experiences even of his people. Everyone who has put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, old or young, I don't care who they are, what they are, if they're really trusting the Savior 
indwelt by the Spirit of God, they belong to the church of Christ. They're baptized into the church by the Spirit of God. This is true of all believers. The moment you're saved, you're guaranteed eternal glory in the Son. And all your tests and your trials and your sorrows and that through which you may go down here is, is a part of God's purpose in fitting us to spend eternity in his presence, to appreciate his wonderful love and his wonderful grace, which leads us into chapter 2. Now, when we come to chapter 2, the great word I use in chapter 2 is the word reconciliation. Now, in chapter 1, we had redemption. Chapter 2, reconciliation. Chapter 3, we have revelation. Now, having spoken about this question of the church, which is his body, all believers belonging to it, he swings back into chapter 2 and takes up some wonderful things concerning the past and concerning the future as well as the present. In fact, in chapter 2, uh, we come from utter ruin to a position of heavenly glory in Christ. My, what a, what a distance from utter ruin to a position of heavenly glory in Christ. Yet, you know, when you come to Philippians 2, you're the same thing about our Savior. He left the eternal glory and came all the way down into the human race and became an accursed thing for you and me to bring us out of our ruin and out of our curse into the very presence of God. Now, in Ephesians 2, you have the same thing. Now, for the believer. But first of all, let me take it up a little differently to what we did in the first chapter. Here we have, first of all, our condition in times past. May I read the first two or three verses of chapter 2? You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our manner of life in time past and the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Go down to verse 11. Wherefore remember that you in time past were Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now let me just stop here. First of all, our condition in time past. Now, he's talking about Gentile Christians. What we were in time past. Now, look at these first, first three verses first. You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, here he's talking about spiritual death. You know, when man came into the world, when God created man, he made him in his own image, in his own likeness. There was no such thing as death, no such thing as sin, as far as the human race was concerned. When you come to chapter 3 of Genesis, you have where, where E, Adam and Eve sinned, and death came in, and death reigned from that day to this, as Romans 5, verses 12 to 21 declares that uh, from the moment that Adam sinned right down to the present time, everyone born into the world 
is born to the world in sin. Every one of us have in us the capacity of every sin in the catalog. That doesn't mean we perform every one, or we act, or we do these sins, but we have the capacity. You see, this is where every unbeliever lives. He's dead in trespasses and sins. That is, there's no spiritual life. There's no relationship to God. You know, John 3.36 says, He that hath the Son of God hath life. He that hath not the Son of God shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth upon him. Everyone who is not related to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is looked upon by God as being dead in trespasses and sins. You see, death, if I can use the term here, death means separation. You separate a soul from the body, and we call the body dead. We say so-and-so died. Well, now what you mean was they left the body. The body is that which dies. If you're a believer, when you leave the body, you go right into the very presence of God. It's according to Philippians 1 and 2 Corinthians 5. Death is separation. Now, if I leave my body, the body's dead. If I'm separated from God, then the soul is dead. Personality is dead. That is, there's no spiritual life. Now, it says here in the first verse, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Allow me to suggest this, that there is nothing attractive about dead bodies. There is nothing attractive about dead people. Let me remind you of Romans chapter 3. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. Now, this is a general statement about the human race. And I'm not going to argue with God on this question. He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They've all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. This is what God sees in the human race. He's not talking about his people. He's talking about those who are out of Christ. Romans 3.23 says, We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Galatians 3.22 it says, The Scriptures hath concluded all under sin. Romans 11.32 says, God hath concluded all, Jew and Gentile, in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Now, my friend, listen, you have no argument with me. Your argument's with God. You submit that I don't believe that. That's neither here nor there. This is what God says. I see your, your argument is not with me. I'm just giving to you what the Word of God says. See, you're taking verse 3. It says, We were by nature the children of wrath, even as the rest, even as others. That's how we were born. We're children of wrath. 51st Psalm says that we were born in sin, Shapen in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. We were born into a rebellious race. We were born into a sinful race. Now, I'd like to make a suggestion here, and I'm just going to digress for a moment. Be very careful and not call anyone a child of the devil. You see, when that term is used, it's used of those who have heard the word of God who openly have rejected the Savior, prefer sin to Christ. For example, 
In the Gospel through John, chapter 8, our Lord spoke of the religious leaders of the day. Now, they were religious. They were moral. But they rejected the Savior. They despised the Savior. In fact, they accused him of being born of fornication. And they said, God is our Father. Jesus said, if God were your Father, you'd believe me. You are of your Father, the devil. And his works you do. And John picks that up in 1 John chapter 3. And the child of the devil mentioned in chapter 3, the one who spurned the Savior. But all of us were children of wrath. We were born into a race that was under the sentence of death. Death reigns, whether you believe it or not, my friend, it's so evident. Death reigns today. Baby is born into the world. It hasn't sinned, but it dies because of sin, born in sin. You can't separate sin and death. The wages of sin is death. Sin pays wages. And death reigns today. Whether you like it or whether you don't like it, death reigns. And if the Lord tarry, every one of us has got to go through the valley of the shadow of death. For the believer, death becomes the open door into the presence of God. For the unbeliever, the one who's rejected the Savior, death becomes the open door, and you go to hell, to Sheol, waiting judgment. These are hard things to say. But let's be realistic about it. And Jesus Christ talks more about these things than any one of us. It says, here we were children of wrath like the rest. In fact, we Gentiles, in verse 11 and 12, we didn't have anything. Listen to it. Remember that you being Gentiles in the flesh. Verse 12. At that time, you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You had nothing in the inheritance of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no promises. Gentiles had no promises. You were without hope. You were without God in the world. And you were afar off. Verse 13. Now a very nice picture. No inheritance, no covenants, no hope. Without Christ, without God, afar off. My, what a condition. And yet I can't leave that without... Quoting the last part of verse 13, you are made nigh unto God by the blood of Christ. God has made provision for you through the precious work of his Son. Now, now that's our condition. I'm not talking about what you do. That's your condition. Dead in sins, children of wrath, having nothing. Talking about Gentiles. No inheritance, no covenants, no hope, no Christ, no God, nothing. We're afar off. Now look at, look at our conduct, which measures up to what we were in time past. Verse 2. In time past, aren't you glad time past, times past? I'm talking to you Christians now. This is past. But here's the condition of what we were before we knew the Savior. Time past, we walked according to the course of this world. Of course, where else could we walk? We were walked according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh energizes the children of disobedience. Powers of darkness, evil forces, that was how we worked. That was how we lived. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. 
And we all had our manner of life in time past, and the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the mind, and so on. See, we walked according to this world system, which is opposed to God. A friend, whether you like it or not, this is fact. This is a fact. Nineteen times in the 17th chapter of John, our Savior spoke of the world. Nineteen times he mentioned the world. The world is a system. I'm not talking about the ground upon which we walk. I'm talking about the world in which we live, the world of people. Dead in sins, energized by the powers of hell. This is the world to post to God. Do you remember in Galatians 6, 14 to 15, Paul says, um, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me, and I to the world. In 1 John 2, 15 to 17, John writes, uh, Love not the world, nor the things that are in this world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world is a system opposed to God. Now, the second thing in here in these, these passages is, we walked according to the prince of the power of the air. The one who is in authority, who is the prince of this world, is Satan. And my friend, he's the one that's running it. In John 12, John 14, and John 16, the Lord three times called Satan, the devil, the adversary, the prince of this world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul calls him the, the God of this age. He's the one who energizes the unsaved. The children of disobedience are under his control and authority. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, my friend, whether you believe it or not, is not of the fact. Some people, in fact, that same passage which I quoted from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 says, in verse 4, it says, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of those who believe not. Lest the glorious light of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Friend, is not a very good picture, is it? Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus Christ came to deliver us, not only from sin, not only from the powers of hell, but he came to save us from this present evil world? Our Savior delivered us from three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And you, you just can't get away from it. And whether you like it or no, the fact is, unless Jesus Christ becomes your Savior, you're still under the authority and power of death and the powers of hell and this present evil world. Why, well, see, Mr. Mitchell, most people are that way. We're all alike. That's right. That's why God, in his infinite mercy, has opened a way whereby you and I, you and I can Come into the very presence of God. Accept his Son as our Savior. And we're no longer seen under the authority of Satan. No longer under the authority of death. No longer under the powers of hell. He's a Savior from sin, from death, and from hell. No wonder Jesus said to the people of his day, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. He that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. 
to as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. He that heareth my words and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. We be delivered from the forces of hell, from the prince of the power of the air, delivered from death that reigns over the human race, delivered from the powers of darkness and from this evil world which is opposed to God. It's not very nice things, is it? Oh, but how glad we are that we who once were afar off have been made nigh unto God by the precious blood of Christ. Not made nigh by your goodness, by your religious feelings, made nigh by what he accomplished at the cross for you and me. And God is still pleading with men, come unto me and I'll give you rest. He means it. My friend, why don't you accept the Savior? Pass from death to life. And the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins again.